The theme for uh, today's psalm is waiting for God. So let's think about what it means to wait for God by thinking about some of the things that we wait for. What examples of things can you think of that we wait for, either with anticipation and excitement or even with nervousness and dread? Steve? Hospital appointments. Hospital appointments, yes. (laughs) One of the questions being, how long are we going to have to wait? (laughs) Okay, hospital appointments. What else? Anne? Christmas, yes. Now, that might be a bit of a mixed one, mightn't it? We might wait for Christmas with some excitement, uh, but also with some anxiety about whether we're going to get everything done or whether our families are going to get on with each other. So Christmas might be an example of something that we have mixed feelings about as we wait. What other things do we wait for? Sheila? Exactly, exam results, yes. And uh, there are a number of you in this room today who will be waiting anxiously over the summer for uh, exam results, children's exam results. Anything else that we wait for? Buses, Toby. (laughs) That was very heartfelt. Vicky? Weddings, yes. Vicky and Phil are getting married in the middle of August and uh, we're we're going to be reading their bands later. But yes, Vicky is waiting for the wedding. Anything else? Lucinda? New baby, yes. And particularly in the last few days, the waiting is uh, tinged with that sense of, when am I going to get the phone call? When are the pains going to start? So we wait for all sorts of things, some things with joy, some things with anxiety. Let's think a little bit about the waiting in our psalm. In the first verse of the psalm, and the second verse as well, we heard the psalmist crying out to God, crying from the depths for God's mercy. And what we have there is a picture of overwhelming personal devastation. The psalmist was feeling completely engulfed. Now, sometimes we feel engulfed too by a sea of troubles and worries. It might be illness, it might be financial worries, might be loss of a job, uh, relation breakdown, um, problems with children. There are all sorts of things that might cause us to feel overwhelmed by a sea of troubles. In verses 1 and 2 of this psalm, we have the picture of the psalmist having been crying out to God for some time. But at the same time, we get that sense that the psalmist has a personal relationship with God uh, and he cries out because he knows that God's power is mighty. So the psalmist cries out to God in the middle of overwhelming distress and he's been doing it for some time. But he's kept going because he has that personal relationship with God and he knows that God is powerful enough to rescue him. And so prayer can be very real and very raw. Sometimes we may feel that when we pray, we can only bring to God the good things that are going on for us. And even if we feel overwhelmed by distress and trouble, 
We feel as though we have to put a brave face on it for God. And yet, in verses 1 and 2 of this psalm today, we see the psalmist praying in a very real and very raw way. And so we can take uh, courage and consolation from that. That when we feel overwhelmed by life, when we feel as though we are in distress, we don't have to try to put a brave face on that in front of God. We can be as real and as raw as we want to be with God. We can do what the psalmist did. We can cry out to God from the depths. But in the next couple of verses, we get a bigger picture of what's actually going on for the psalmist, what it is that's causing him to cry out for God. And on this occasion, it isn't because he's being overwhelmed by his enemies. It isn't that he's facing suffering through illness. He is suffering because he has done something wrong which he knows is totally his fault and which logically deserves punishment. But he knows that God is a God of grace, a God of second chances, and third and fourth and fifth. And so he's relying on God for forgiveness. Now, imagine this scenario My apologies to those of you who uh, may have had a car crash, and particularly if it wasn't your fault, but imagine that you have had a car crash and it was your fault. I've certainly been in that situation where uh, I've reversed into something in the car park and uh, my insurance um, premium paid the price of that. But we're going to imagine a car crash that is not your fault, okay? Sorry, we're going to imagine a car crash that is your fault. So you might have done what I did and driven into the back of the car. Uh, You might have um, driven too fast. Just imagine the scene. And as I say, this is just a total imagination to help us understand what the psalmist is saying. In this car crash, you've written your car off and you've written off the car that you bumped into and you've injured yourself and the other driver And uh, you're going to suffer some pain from this crash for a few years. Imagine, too, that you're not insured, so that actually you're going to have to pay the full costs of this car crash. And you might even lose your license and lose your job. And then you may lose your home and your family because you can't pay your mortgage. To make it worse, the other driver is a close member of your family. Okay? So this is just a completely imaginary scenario. It's unlikely to ever happen quite like that. But imagine it. Now, if you were in that situation, you would feel a bit overwhelmed, wouldn't you? You would ask the other driver for forgiveness, but you wouldn't really expect it. You're expecting that the other driver will blame you for years to come. So you would feel pretty overwhelmed. It's that sort of situation that the psalmist is imagining, where he's done something that is totally his fault, and uh, the consequences of that are going to go on for quite a few years. When he says in verse 3, 
if you should mark your iniquities, Lord, who could stand? He's not so much thinking of God's greatness. He's more thinking of uh, being able to stand in the face of God telling him, you did wrong. But although he's knowing that this is his fault, and although he knows that he deserves God's judgment, he knows that God will forgive him. And so coming back to our imaginary story, imagine that instead of being furious with you, the other driver says that they will pay the full costs of the medical expenses. They will pay the full costs of both cars being replaced with brand new ones. They will stand up for you in court so that you don't lose your driving license. They will offer you a new job in their company. And they promise never ever to hold this against you. And they tell you that they're doing all of this because they love you. That would actually be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? If you were in that imaginary situation, you would feel pretty overwhelmed by that person's goodness and grace and his generosity. And if that person was a family member, you would know that your family relationships would be safe because of their love for you and their forgiveness for you. Now, we don't know what the psalmist had done that he knew was wrong in God's eyes. We simply know that from what he says, that he has done something wrong and the effects of it were devastating. But from verse 4, we see that the family member in our imaginary car crash, God is forgiving the psalmist, and as a result, the psalmist worships God. And that is the purpose of God's forgiveness. As he forgives us for those things that we've done wrong, whether it's holding a grudge against someone, whether it's being uh, jealous of someone because they've got what we want, whatever it may be, we know that God forgives us when we've done wrong. And his desire is that we experience that forgiveness and that grace, and we experience it in such a deep and profound way that from that point onwards, we want to live as he wants us to live. We want to live in a way which pleases him, which works out from the very depths of who we are, our sense of thankfulness. But actually, uh, the psalmist has skipped ahead a bit. He's imagining what the outcome will be of him asking God God for forgiveness. But actually, God is keeping him waiting. We don't know why God is keeping him waiting, but we have this sense in verses 5 and 6 that the the psalmist is being kept waiting by God. And that's why he gives us uh, this picture of uh, the watchman waiting for the morning. 
because he is waiting for God's forgiveness. And just like some of those scenarios that we thought of uh, about waiting, waiting for exam results, uh, waiting for a baby to be born, waiting for Christmas, waiting for a hospital appointment or test results. In all of those situations, we are waiting. And so here, the psalmist too is waiting to be forgiven by God. And so we have that promise of God's forgiveness. And the psalmist says that just as eventually the morning comes from the night watchman, so eventually God's promise of forgiveness is worked out and we wait no longer. God gives us that promise of forgiveness. And so we wait. But in the last two verses of the psalm, we're not just waiting as people who have no hope, but actually we're waiting as people whose hope is in God. And that's where the psalmist ends up. We wait in hope for God. And we do that because we know that God loves us. We know that he promises to forgive us in his word. And as the psalmist reminds us, God is true to his word. And so we wait in hope because God loves us and he's true to his word. And so in situations where we feel overwhelmed, particularly if the situations that are overwhelming us are because of our own foolishness or our own mistakes, we can cry out to God for mercy in that situation. We can cry out knowing that God will forgive us because he loves us. And we can wait in hope because God's love for us, the psalmist says, is steadfast And he is true to his word. Now the psalmist was writing all of this before Jesus lived and died. And we are here praying, knowing that uh, the psalmist's experience of God's love is even greater for us. Because we have the proof of God's love and forgiveness in the Jesus, the one who died for us on the cross. And so as we pray, as we cry out to God uh, in the things which overwhelm us, we can do so with even more hope than the psalmist did. Because we know that we have a God who loves us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die for us. And Jesus' love for us is complete. His forgiveness for us His grace is overwhelming. So today as we pray in whatever situations you're facing, uh, whether um, they're situations that are overwhelming you uh, through your circumstances in your life, whether you're feeling overwhelmed uh, by situations that are effect of uh, mistakes that you've made, or whether you're feeling overwhelmed by things that are going on in the world and the things that people in the world suffer. Our news is full of those things, like the Rohingya people suffering 
uh, in Myanmar, all sorts of things. Whatever it is that you're feeling overwhelmed by today, have the confidence to cry out to God in the rawness and the reality of that. Because you know that you have a God whose love for you is steadfast and everlasting, whose forgiveness for you will be complete, and who will fill you with his new life. Because that was the end result of the psalmist's prayer. He knew God, meeting him, forgiving him, and filling him. And we too can know that today. So as we go through the rest of the service, and particularly maybe as you come and receive bread and wine, pray in the reality of what it is that you're facing today. And pray with hope and faith and trust. Because God's love for you, his grace, is overwhelming.